0: Good morning, church. Good to see you. If you're a guest this morning, we say to you, welcome home. And we welcome our live streamers who are joining us as well. So let's get started. Mrs. Munro lives in Darlington, Maryland. She is the mother of eight children. One of her experiences was so unique that John Hagai put it in his book called How to Win Over Worry. He writes She came home one afternoon from the grocery store and walked into her home. Everything looked pretty much the same, though it was a little bit quieter than usual. She looked into the middle of the living room, and five of her darlings were sitting around in a circle, exceedingly quiet, doing something with something in the middle of the circle. So she put down the sacks of groceries and walked over closely and looked. She saw that they were playing with five of the cutest baby skunks you can imagine. She was instantly terrified, and she said, run, children, run. Each child grabbed a skunk and ran (laughs) in five different directions. She was beside herself. She screamed louder, more frantically, with great gusto. It so scared the children that each one squeezed his skunk. And as the writer puts it, skunks don't like to be squeezed. I sometimes wonder if Jesus must not have felt a little bit like that mother of those children when it came to his disciples. He's training them. He's giving them His commands to obey, obey everything Jesus commanded, and they're trying to obey. But half the time, they seem to wind up squeezing the skunk and stinking things up. And today's command that we are studying is a case in point. Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. About that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, if this were just an isolated Hypothetical question, no problem. Let's talk theology. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? But this was not that. We know from the parallel gospels in Mark and Luke that the disciples had actually been arguing amongst themselves along the way about which of them was the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And it's even worse than that. In Matthew 16, remember what we talked about last week? Of course you do. Jesus was saying... That he had to go to Jerusalem and he was going to be abused by the leaders and would have to die. And he says, anyone who comes after me must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That's chapter 16. In chapter 17, he repeats it. The son of man is going to Jerusalem. He has to die, raised on the third day. Here we are in chapter 18. It's four verses later after he's telling them this. And the disciples are arguing amongst themselves of which of them is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. They're squeezing the scum. So that's the context for the command that Jesus gives that you must become like a little child to enter the kingdom of heaven. And we want to obey that command, and so that's what we're going to study today. I'm going to break it down in three parts so that we can obey it without squeezing the scum. I'm going to say three things about it today. Number one, <clears throat> this command means, among other things, to pay attention to children. We pay attention to children. Matthew eighteen two. Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. Now, it's not the main point here, but I just want to notice in passing that when Jesus called a child, the child came, because that doesn't always happen, right? If you ever called a child and the, the child shied away from you like you're the creature from the Black Lagoon, they don't always come. In fact, that happened with my own grandchildren, don't always come. But Jesus seemed to have an affinity for children and with children, and this is borne out by other scriptures in the next chapter, Matthew 19, 13. One day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could lay his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. But Jesus said, let let the children come to me. So the disciples scolded the parents, and Jesus scolded the disciples. And the, the point here, though, is the parents wanted their children to be with Jesus. The children seemed to want to be with Jesus. And Jesus wanted to be with the children. He's probably thinking, I've had enough of these disciples for a while. Let me spend some time with the kids. So Jesus paid attention to children. Uh, God pays attention to children. God does, the Father. In another scripture, Matthew 18, 10, Jesus says, of children, their angels are always in the presence of my heavenly Father. Now, whatever else that means, it means God is paying attention to the children. Matthew 19, 14, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. You know, you know what one of the most common names for Christians is in the New Testament? Children of God. That's used over 500 times for us Christians, children. God's paying attention to children. And the early church, the early church, the church we read about in the book of Acts, the church we read about in the New Testament, they paid attention to children. Paul's letters you know, Two-thirds of the New Testament was written by Paul. These letters were designed to be read aloud in those early churches, the little house churches that they had. Not everybody was literate or had access to these letters, so they would read them aloud in church. And at least some of that instruction in Colossians and Ephesians, the Holy Spirit directed Paul to write instructions directly to children because we infer from that there were children in church in those early churches. So the early church. Paid attention to children. We want to pay. I'm just saying, we want to pay attention to children. Now, there we, we love our seniors. We have programming for our senior adults here in the church. We love our singles with no children. We love our married couples who have no children. But we also love our, our young families with young children. We pay attention to them. When I say pay attention, I mean we value the children. We see them. We hear them, we love them, we want them. Let me give you some statistics. We all love those, don't we? Here's some statistics. 14% of the households in Vero Beach, our town, have one or more children. That's over 1,000 households in Vero Beach. 17% of the households in Indian River County have one or more children. That's 10,000 households in the county. We want those families and children in church preferably in this church. We have over 30 children in this congregation who are fifth grade and under, and eight of them are babies. We got a mini baby boom going on here at Vero Christian Church. And most of you know this, but if you didn't, we have a full-time staff person, Nate Wilkerson, who is designated a family life minister. That's a reflection of the intentionality with which this church's leadership and congregation in general pays attention to the children. And I say kudos for that. They are a priority in our church, and that reflects a biblical priority. One young mother brought her three children to church. It was an older congregation, small church. They hadn't had a lot of children there in a long time, and quickly became evident that these three children had not been in church in a long time. They didn't quite know how to behave. She was having trouble controlling them. She's starting to get some stern looks from people in the church. One of them got upset. Finally, she, she was taking him out. And the preacher said from up on the stage, he said, Ma'am, your baby is not bothering my preaching. And she said on the way out, she looked back and said, Yeah, but your preaching is bothering my baby. <laughs> we don't, we're not bothered by the babies and the children here in this church. We welcome them. Okay, so we're talking about obeying this command to be childlike. First of all, it means pay attention. Number two. Obviously, it means to imitate children, to imitate children. Verses 3 and 4. Then Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Not everything about children is to be imitated. We don't want to be childish. We want to be childlike. The disciples are being childish. We want to be childlike. Zero Jesus zeroes in on one thing about children to imitate. Did you pick up on it? What was that? Humility. Anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus focuses on the humility of children. Children are born in a humble state. They're in a humble state of being. You You heard the expression, this person came from humble beginnings. That's talking about their state of being. They were born maybe in poverty or some disadvantaged circumstances. They were in a humble state. Well, children are the smallest, weakest creatures in their world. Most of the time, they realize that. They know that. They're in a humble state of being. And the aspect of humility, that quality, that characteristic, it's elusive. As soon as you think you have it, you've lost it. But biblical humility, I think, is something we can choose to obey. It's made up of an attitude, in an action. All right, first, the humble attitude. Summed up well, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Paul writes, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. That's the attitude. And we can choose to do that, to think of others as better than ourselves and work for their best interest. If the disciples had had this aspect of humility, they would not have been arguing about which of them was the greatest in the kingdom. They would be trying to advance the interests of their fellow disciples. So, that, so we can choose that attitude. That's the attitude, and then the action of humility. I use Jesus modeled this well in John chapter thirteen, verse five and fourteen. Then Jesus began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. You ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. So the action of humility is service. Humility finds a way to serve. Children, little children, they love to serve. Some of you who know me know I I bake bread. I bake about two loaves a week. And ever since the grandkids were little, they loved to help Papa bake the bread. And Carson... When he was in that one to two-year-old age, he would get on the stool and climb up there with me. Can I do that? I want to help with that. I can do that. And so he became my little assistant, right? And he's helping me to grind the wheat berries and make the flour, and then we put in the water and the oil and the honey and the salt, pour in the flour and the yeast, put in the crack the egg in there. I'm telling you, initially, he was terrible at it. I'm picking eggshells out of the mix and everything, but eventually he got better and uh, he, he's my little baker. But then he aged out, went to school, and then it's next up is his younger brother, Caleb. Caleb's the same way, climbing up on that stool. I can do that. I want to help. I do that. So he's my assistant. Then he aged out, went to school, and then it's Cora. She helps me, and then she aged out and went to school. Now it's Abilene. Abilene's going to age out, and then it'll be Cassie, and then after Cassie, it'll be Hallie. I think I got them all there. <laughs> you know, but that's, that's the way they are. They, love to help, and they live for what? The praise and approbation of their parents, or their grandparents, in my case. Oh, you're going to be a great baker. You're so good at that. They eat that up. You have the same kind of story with your children and your grandchildren. You know, they get the broom, and they want to help sweep, or they get the sponge. They want to help wash the car, because little children love to serve. Now, I'm talking about little children. I know it all changes when they get to be teenagers. Uh, the little children love to serve. And so, uh, humility finds a way to serve. I think our church is full of people with humble servants' hearts. We, are, we, are, we pref- church staff, have to be careful sometimes. Sometimes we think of ministry and service in a very narrow scoop, scope of what happens on, just on Sunday You know, to, to put this together. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. Most ministry, most service takes place throughout the week. And I know there's a lot of it going on because I, I, I know some of it. Because I know some what's going on in circumstances of some people's lives. We have members in our church who go and they, they visit their in-laws or their own parents. El, they're doing elder care in the home. And it's, I mean, that's serious and humble service and ministry. A lot of times it's thankless. Nobody sees, nobody knows, but except God does. I know we've had people in our congregation a couple of weeks ago. There was a family that needed a hospital bed. They needed it now. And they didn't know how they were going to get it. They made a phone call. Uh, actually to Scott back there. Scott made a few phone calls, put together a team. They got a truck, went over there, got the hospital bed, set it up in their home, and that church family told me, I don't know what we would have done if they hadn't done that. Uh, we have people in our church who come over and spend, put in hours and hours and hours of hard manual labor here at the church facility. just And all of this, just because they love Jesus and they love God and all this service is going on. And I could go on and on. These are just some of the things that I know about. We had a family that provides housing for the homeless on their own property for weeks and even months. And there's a, and I think that's true. I just work on the assumption that just about everybody in the church is involved in humble service throughout the week. But having said that, there's also the service and ministry opportunities that do take place here on Sunday. And one of the ways we, we got two points so far. If we combine point one and point two here, pay attention to the children and humbly serve. One of the ways we can do that is in children's ministry. One of the advantages of having more than one service, uh, we got three services here, is being able to attend and worship in a service and then stay for another hour and spend two hours here instead of one hour. And for instance, so we worship here and in the next service we, help, we might help in children's ministry. There's other ways to minister as well. I'm just focusing on the children's ministry right now. Let me read you a list of names. You see if you can figure out to yourself in your own mind what all the two things these names all have in common. Here we go. Kathy Cavan and Carolyn Aldheiser, Dennis Posey, Tammy Jones, Talaria Yon, Ann Collins, Marianne Watkins, Paula Senna, Karen Schlitt, Ann Martinelli, Kim Moreau, Janet Landwehr, Missy Boatwright, Greg Bartolucci, Annie Bellis, and Cindy Carter. About 17 people there. What two things they all have in common. I don't expect you to know. Maybe the first one. They're all involved. All those people are involved in children's ministry or student ministry. Here at Vera Christian Church. That's the first thing. Second thing is they've all raised their kids. Oh, I've raised my kids. but They've all raised their kids. They don't have young children in the home. But they're still paying attention to children. And we praise God that they are. I know children's ministry is not for everyone, but it might be for some of us here this morning. And uh, if you happen to be interested, all you have to do is email Nate, nate at verachristian.com, nate at verachristian.com, act now, nate at verachristian.com, and he'll be happy to help plug in. Okay, so we're talking about obeying this command to become like children. One we pay attention Number two, we imitate the humility of children in our attitude and in our service. And then the third thing, final thing here, is to protect children. Protect children. Matthew 18, verses 6, 10, and 14. Jesus says, if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Verse 10, beware that you don't look down on any of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven... Their angels are always in the presence of my heavenly Father. And verse 14, it is not my heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. Commentators are divided on whether Jesus is exclusively talking about literal children right now, or he's transitioning and using them as an example of those who are children in the faith, young converts new to the church or both. I, I kind of think it's both. We should be, you know, paying attention to children. We We should be protective of young Christians, new converts, those who are new to the church. We don't want to do anything unnecessarily to cause them to stumble. Hey, we, church family, we who have been members of the church for a couple of years or longer, we have to be careful that on Sunday, for instance, we're not just visiting with our own families and our own little circle of friends, but that that circle stays open. If there's a guest or a newcomer or a new member, that we're enveloping them or reaching out to them, incorporating them into the church family. We're paying attention to those who are young in the faith. So there is that aspect. But I want to make the application to protecting literal children. Today is Sanctity of Human Life Sundays, typically the third Sunday in January. the Sunday that's closest to January 22nd, 1973, the Roe v. Wade decision, legalizing abortion across the country. So it's Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. The sanctity of human life is built upon the idea that all people are created in the image of God. That's what it's built on. It's a biblical idea. Of course, you know that. It goes back to Genesis chapter 1. We're created in the image of God. So people are sacred. The life, People's lives are sacred in the eyes of God, not because of their quality of life, not because of their giftedness, not because their life is what somebody determines to be meaningful, but simply by virtue of being born into humanity, created in the image of God, their life is sacred. And we have to see ourselves in that way before we can value other Lives is sacred from the whole spectrum from conception to the grave. All human life is sacred based upon that. God loves his people because we are his children and he is bonded to us, so to speak. You know, another personal example when I first was born, Stephen, I mean, it was difficult, it was a 30 hour labor followed by an emergency. C section. Exhausting, exhausting day. Tammy was tired too, but I was, you know, it was really hard. When he was born, he had the cone head because he'd spent so long in the birth canal, but we didn't care. As soon as we saw him, we hugged him, we're loving him, we're bonded to him. He couldn't give us anything, couldn't say anything, had nothing to contribute, all take, no give, but we still loved him, bonded to him because he's ours. He's ours. God looks at us the same way. You feel the same way about your children and your grandchildren. God looks at us the same way, feels the same way about us. We are His children. Before we can ever say anything or give Him anything or say, I love you too, He loves us. He's bonded to us. That's the way He feels about <clears throat> each one of us. And He was involved in our creation. We know He created Adam and Eve and didn't create us in exactly the same way, but He is intimately involved in every person's creation. The psalmist writes in Psalm 139.13, 13, <clears throat> You knit me together in my mother's womb. So that was true of David. It's also true of each one of us. We don't create life. We contribute a sperm and ovum, but we don't create life. God does that. Spark of life, breath of life, and creates that baby in the womb. That's his work. And even if if we go off and do wrong, you know, you think of your kids, When your kids do wrong, you still love them. You may not approve of what they do. Stephen could join the Taliban. Would I be happy about that? No. Somebody come and interview me. What do you think of your son joining the Taliban? Well, I'm a little bit disappointed about that. But what are you going to do? I still love him. And in a sense, when we sinned against God, we join the Taliban. Our sin is a vote to overthrow the government of God. And yet he still loved us. Jesus died for us while we were enemies in the Taliban. He died for us, still loved us, still loves us, always loves us, and God always loves His children. So we stand up for the children. We stand up for the babies. This is a pro-life church, unabashedly pro-life. I'm pro-life. Everybody on the staff is pro-life. All the elders and deacons, pro-life. majority of the congregation, if not 100%, pro-life. The executive director of the Care Pregnancy Center is a member of this church, as is the chairman of the board. We've got six people who volunteer at CareNet Pregnancy Center every week. Fourteen people are involved in one way or another. We support CareNet with our missions. We're pro life, strongly pro life, un- unapologetically. We want to, and there are many ways to protect the children. One is the opportunity that we have today that Scott announced. So just go over there on the corner of uh, 43rd and 60 and just stand out there for a couple hours, hold a sign, and stand up for the children. Most people who drive by will honk in affirmation and approval, one or two will roll the windows down and cuss at you. But uh, that's happened to me in the last two years. You know what? It didn't hurt me. And uh, I imagine Jesus got cussed at every once in a while. What what better reason than standing up for innocent life? Proverbs 31.8, Solomon writes, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those who are being crushed. Would you join me in prayer? Our Father in heaven, this morning, we affirm that uh, too many times we have that pride, that childishness that we saw in the disciples arguing about who's the greatest. We recommit ourselves to the humility of children. We want to see other people as even more important than we are and work to advance their interests, to love them, Lord. And today, we want to stand up for children just as you always stand up for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.